Hi, I'm Kai Squires and welcome to Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. Each week, I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now, how they affect the people and the planet, and what we can all do to help make a difference. For this episode, I am joined by World Animal Protection's Jackie Mills and Roberto Vietto to discuss how the biggest issues affecting animals are interconnected and how every human action has a consequence. Over the next decade, we can make choices together to end the staggering cruelty suffered by farmed animals, as well as the world's wildlife, before we reach the point of no return. If you are unsure of what factory farming is, then please listen to episode two, where we talk about this subject with World Animal Protection's Director of Farming, Mark Deer. Plus, in episode three, we talk about wildlife with Gilbert Sape and James Royston. Jackie and Roberto, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Before we get into the subject of wildlife and farming, it would be great for our listeners to find out a little bit about you both. So, Jackie, would you like to start off by telling us whereabouts in the world you are and what is it you do for world animal protection? Thanks so much, Carly. It's great to be here. Um, I'm based in Australia uh, in a city called Newcastle, which is just north of Sydney on the coast. I've been with World Animal Protection about eight or nine years now, and currently I'm the global head of our farming campaigns. Ah, amazing. And Roberto, um, we would love to hear about what it is you do for World Animal Protection. Hi, Carly. Hi, Jackie. And hi to the people listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm super excited to be part of this fourth edition of Animals Are Calling. Uh, I'm based in San Jose, Costa Rica. I've been working in the organization for 12 years now. And I am the Global Animal Welfare Advisor for the Wildlife Campaigns. Wow. Well, I'm really, really pleased to have you both here. And today really is an interesting episode because um, in previous episodes, we have talked about the wildlife trade and farmed animals and the cruelty um, which happens in both of those industries. Uh, This episode is more about the knock-on effect of decisions we make. So... As an example, I'm a vegetarian, but before I was a vegetarian, potentially I would go to a restaurant and buy a steak, which used to be one of my favourite meals. But say today I went into that restaurant and ordered a steak. I'd be interested to hear from Jackie what knock-on effects that would have, not just on farmed animals, but on wildlife across the globe. Yeah, thanks, Carly. And I think um, the first thing we'd say is that we're not asking people to stop eating meat. But when we do go and eat meat, let's have a think about um, the circumstances in which those animals are raised, uh, whether they're raised in factory farms and whether that particular choice is sustainable for the planet. So we know that sadly there are billions of farmed animals in factory farms around the world. Um, They're crammed into cages. Um, They might be painfully mutilated. Quite often antibiotics are used um, very, very uh, widely to prevent them getting sick because they're so stressed in those conditions. And we see that there's a lot of environmental impacts as well from factory farm production, right from the point where the crops are planted uh, to create the animal feed for those animals, right through to the pollution from the factory farms themselves. I think that's what's really interesting because when we talk about, like you said, making choices 
regarding meat reduction or being really careful with the clothes that you purchase, for example. It doesn't just have to be about um, what we eat. But that actually doesn't just have an effect on that specific animal in that specific part of the world, but actually has a real global effect. Um, Roberto, I'd be interested um, to hear from you why we need to take a second to think about the choices we make in our everyday life. Sure. You know, for people, sometimes it's not that easy to make that correlation between how, um, when they choose a specific product, how can this uh, harm the environment or, or some iconic species in a different part of the world? But if you think, for example, in South America, uh, with these iconic vines like Amazon, Cerrado, and Pantanal, which is home of really iconic species like giant anteaters, jaguars, tapirs, uh, their lands, their homes are being transformed into agricultural lands to respond to an increase in the factory farming. So it's it's really important to give the people the opportunity to uh, see the full change and how a decision can impact a completely different part of of the world. If you if you think of Brazil, the most mega diverse country in the world with uh, you know so many species, being the same country that's produced the the most amount of soy in the world too. Yeah, it's a really great point, Roberto, because I think approaching um, making careful decisions in regards to a global issue rather than a local issue make, makes it feel so much more impactful as one person making a choice. Maybe for one person, they might feel like giving, you know, making the choice to buy a, a handbag not made from alligator skin, for example. That actually has a huge knock-on effect, not just for that animal, but across the globe. Um, actually gives a lot of power to the person making that decision in a world where potentially people feel like they can't make a huge difference. And so I'd be interested to know from you, Jackie, like why is it important that we make these different choices right now? Um, is there an urgent need for this? Yeah, thanks, Carly. I think um, there are different choices that we can make. Um, as I mentioned, we're not saying don't eat meat, but we're saying ask the question, where does my meat come from? And I think... What we know is that there are already billions of animals suffering in factory farms around the world, but we also know that that is um, projected to increase very dramatically as demand for meat continues to grow around the world. Um, So in particular, really intensively farmed animals like chicken and pork, they're expected to be produced at levels triple that of beef Uh, over the next coming decades. And so we really need to think about, you know, where does that meat come from and what is the uh, environmental impacts and impacts on communities from that? Sorry, Jackie, I hate to interrupt, but I feel like a dog has entered the room and I'm very excited. Who is the dog? (laughs) Uh, So my dog, Barry, is also very passionate when it comes to discussions of food, Carly. (laughs) So I think he was making his opinion known. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent opinion. Thank you for that, Barry. You're welcome to join in for the rest of the conversation. Very happy with that. A question I actually have for Roberto is you mentioned about the Pantanal. um, And I think for myself and the audience, we would like to know what or where the Pantanal is and what is happening there when you talk about soy. Well, when we mentioned the Pantanal, we're talking about the largest tropical wetland in the world 
located at the heart of South America, and most part of it is in Brazil, but also there is a small portion located in Bolivia and Paraguay as well. This is a very rich region in terms of biodiversity, with the numerous species of birds, reptiles, mammals that attract visitors from all over the world. And as some people might know, Brazil experienced for the last three years like really hard events in terms of fires. First, it was in 2019 with the Amazon. Then 2020, 30% of the Pantanal region was burned. And in 2021, the emergency continued. And you will ask, what does agribusiness or soy has to do with what happened in the Pantanal? And here is where the important link to other major habitats like the Amazon and Cerrado come. Um, the expansion of monocultures like soy in the border of the Pantanal habitat, especially in the Cerrado region, is causing the degradation of the area where the rivers that give life to the Pantanal originate. Uh, to explain this in a simpler way, when you remove native vegetation and transform land into soy fields in the Cerrado, this affects the hydrological cycle of the region, uh, causing sedimentation, reducing the level of the water, uh, making more severe the dry period, and this aggravates the situation of the fires, that unfortunately most of them were man-made, uh, accidentally or, or in purpose. So it's really important not to see the Pantanal region as an isolated unit and understand how this high biodiversity spot is affected by what happens in the surroundings. Could you clarify what you mean by biodiversity and how that has a knock-on effect for the rest of the world? So, for example, if the fires are burning in the Pantanal, that's one specific area. But I'd be interested to know, does that affect, does that have a knock-on effect on the rest of the globe? And if so, how? When I mentioned high biodiversity, this is because the Pantanal is one of the best places in the world to spot wild animals. The density of the animals per square kilometer is amazing. And without investing too much time, you will see different types of birds, uh, mammals like capybaras, giant otters, uh, a lot of caimans, and some species that only occur on this side of the world. Now, regarding the global impacts of the fires, we can't forget that this puts more pressure on the biodiversity crisis, um, threatening species survival, uh, affecting the resilience of the habitat, and we can lose like entire populations that only occur in this in this region. Uh, only last year, during the 2020 fires, it was estimated that 17 million animals died, and this is still a very conservative estimation. Um, also, losing all this native vegetation aggravates the climate crisis that we are exp experiencing globally, uh, with a huge negative impact in, in people's livelihoods. And of course, we can't forget about the negative impact in, in, in terms of animal welfare, um, animals that get affected directly by the fires and by um, the damage that is caused to their habitats. Wow, okay, so this, I mean, this is huge, isn't it? Because what we're talking about here is uh, decisions being made across the globe affecting the Pantanal as a specific example. Uh, Jackie, what work has World Animal Protection been doing in the Pantanal recently? I guess when we look at this issue, sometimes we think it's all about, you know, the soy milk in our coffee, our soy latte, something like that. But I think when Roberto talks about soy being planted to feed farmed animals, people don't know that, you know, more than three quarters of 
soy that's planted actually goes to those animals on factory farms. So it's really, again, that factory farming that's driving the destruction there. Um, we do need to be mindful that when those habitats are burnt, we lose um, homes for wild animals and they suffer terribly. So for us, um, it's not just about whether the wild animals are endangered. We believe that all wild animals deserve to live freely in the wild and that's so important for us. So at World Animal Protection, we've been um, working on the ground with a local partner to go in and to help animals that are caught up in those fires, the fires that are being driven by the growth of factory farming. And Roberto can give a lot more details because he's been there on the ground. But this is about providing veterinary equipment. Um, it's providing support on the ground. Uh, it's helping those animals the best way that we can. Equally, we need to address the root cause of the issue. So the work that I do involves colleagues right around the world uh, addressing animal welfare on factory farms, trying to raise standards. But also what we want to see is a transformation of the food system. We want to see less meat and more plants. And we want to see remaining farmed animals in, in good welfare, not on factory farms anymore. Like Jackie mentioned, it, we were in the ground and I believe it's useful to share with you all what we witnessed in this field. Uh, first, I must admit that it was very sad to see the damages of the fires of 2020 and 21 caused in, in such an incredible place. Uh, we had the chance to see active fires consuming the forest. We found carbonized animals and an habitat that clearly hasn't had enough time to recover. Also, we saw part of the social impact. People were visibly worried about what will come next with these fires. Um, another aggravating factor we saw was the extreme drought, uh, the worst in 47 years um, in this region. Some of the areas that we visited were supposed to be like lagoons where all kinds of animals visit to drink water and, and, and feed. But what we saw was the soil totally dry and a group of fish bat battling to survive. It was shocking, but at the same time, very valuable to understand what human actions are causing in these amazing places. Um, in terms of the work that World Animal Protection is doing in, in the Pantalon and Cerrado regions, it, we're working with local groups specializing in the rescue and rehabilitation of wild animals and habitat preservation. And one of the key points of our support is logistics and increasing the capacity to reach remote places. Uh, when we travel to Mato Grosso Sul, the state where we are doing this intervention, we understood the complexities of having access to these animals affected by the fires and the challenges of transporting them to places where they can receive the adequate uh, medical attention. Just to give you an idea, Mato Grosso Sul state is almost the same size of Germany with a few couple of places where they can uh, treat the animals and that represents a huge challenge in terms of capacity. Uh, the rest of our support is based on, on providing veterinary equipment to be able to do an appropriate handling and treatment of wild animals, uh, giving the medical supplies needed and ensuring that they will count with specialized veterinary services that are required for this type of intervention because these animals have uh, like very different medical and management requirements, uh, requirements when compared to domestic animals. I mean, 
being on the ground and seeing that is com- is something completely different to particularly how I experience my day-to-day life where in all honesty like I'm quite separated from the effects of the climate change and the decisions that humanity are making and how that has such a detrimental effect um, on animals. So Jackie, um, do you mind helping me sort of introduce the idea of how factory farming is connected with the fires in the Pantanal? Thanks, Carly. And I think it's a good question because on the face of it, you know, um, you might not think that factory farming is connected to um, suffering of wild animals. Um, But we live in a globalised world and the food industry is no different. Um, So let me walk through that a little bit. Um, The global food industry is characterised by these factory farms, sadly, where there are billions of animals farmed animals stuck on those farms, and they they suffer terribly. You know, they might be caged, they might be painfully mutilated, uh, they're stressed and they're squashed together, all in the name of uh, producing cheap meat as demand for meat continues to rise. But it doesn't stop there. And factory farming is actually the biggest threat to wild animals and habitats around the world. It's particularly through the production of crops to feed farmed animals. So again, we might not be aware that the meat we eat, those animals might have been fed with crops that are actually planted on the other side of the world, sometimes in highly biodiverse areas. And the Amazon or the Pantanal is one example of these areas. And in order to clear the land to plant the crops, Typically, fire might be used. This causes devastation, of course, and the wild animals suffer terribly. It also releases carbon to the atmosphere and it exacerbates climate change. And often when we think about factory farming, we don't think about climate change. Our mindset is around fossil fuels and energy. But we know from what scientists tell us that if the path of continued demand in growth, sorry, growth in demand for meat continues, that will fall short of meeting those targets within the Paris Climate Agreements. And this is timely because the big climate meeting is happening as we speak over in Glasgow. Jackie, sorry to interrupt. Do you mind explaining very quickly for the listener um, what that agreement is um, and about the meetings in Glasgow as well? So the meeting that's happening at the moment is really designed to see if countries can live up to the promises they made in the Paris Climate Agreement. It's really a last chance um, to see if that progress can be made. So in the Paris Climate Agreement several years ago, countries committed to try and cap the increase in global temperatures to 1.5 or 2 degrees at most above pre-industrial levels in the atmosphere. Sadly, we're not on the right path um, and we do see that there is a role for the food industry here. It's not all about fossil fuels. That's, of course, very important. We move from fossil fuels to renewables. But we also know that production of so much meat and dairy um, is a big contributor to climate change. And one of the things that we need to do 
is to end factory farming and we need to be producing fewer farmed animals and having them in uh, higher welfare conditions. In those situations, we can actually source feed for those animals more sustainably and locally. So rather than relying on a very complex global trade in animal feed crops to feed the animals on the factory farms, we can actually um, ensure that that land can be conserved for wild animal habitat or part of it can be used to, to plant crops directly to feed humans. And that's really what we need for food security and the climate. Okay. Um, Roberta, do you recognise what Jackie is saying in regards to what you've seen in the Pantanal, that knock-on effect? Definitely. Just like Jackie was mentioning, there is the use of fire to clear areas of native vegetation and expand agricultural activities, uh, mainly motivated by the factory farming systems. And there is also a very worrying phenomenon that is increasing in which trees are removed and used lands are burned, uh, new pasture areas are, uh, for livestock are created, and then after some years, these lands are transformed into massive soil fields uh, to support the demand of, of the animal feed industry uh, with very dramatic environmental impacts. Um, a particular region that is vulnerable to this situation is the Cerral, the habitat that is surrounding the Pantanal, which is a type of tropical savanna habitat that has lost more than 40% of its natural vegetation in the surrounding areas due to the expansion of pasture lands and monocultures. And as I was mentioning at the beginning, these two regions are interlinked. That's why whatever happens in the surrounding a higher plateau, mainly Cerrado habitat, will directly impact the Pantano, which is a floated plain. Uh, we can forget that the springs that give life to the floodplain originally in the Cerrado and this area has suffered a lot of degradation because of the productive activities. Well, like you were saying, Jackie, like this, um, you know, the issues of uh, wildlife and factory farming are interconnected. They're linked. Factory farms are used across the globe. Um, and it seems odd to me that uh, myself and I'm sure a lot of the listeners that are tuning in aren't actually aware of how much our decisions can affect the world globally. And so I'm interested to hear from you, Jackie, why do you think we don't talk about this? Like you used a really good example of how farmed animals are often associated with fossil fuels, but we don't talk about uh, the climate issues. We don't talk about the animal cruelty in regards to uh, wildlife. Why do you think we're not talking about this? Well, Carly, I think it's because big business has a stranglehold on the way our food is produced, to be honest, and governments are uh, very hesitant to regulate uh, what factory farms are doing, the pollution that they're emitting, uh, the cruelty that's inflicted on those animals. Um, and really it's in their interest that consumers are left in the dark. That's why it's so important that we're asking those questions um, and that we're holding to account big business and governments to ensure that these very, very important issues of sustainability, animal welfare and climate are, are addressed. So one of the things that I think that we need to be looking at, the world can't afford more and more factory farms. We need to put an end to this. There are already billions and billions of farmed animals. 
Um, a lot of the problems that we have in developed countries are around uh, uh, obesity or health issues from eating too much meat. In some parts of the world, people may struggle to access sufficient protein. Um, but we need to be thinking about um, the contribution that the factory farming makes to climate change and an alternate pathway there. We need to be thinking about the public health issues that factory farming causes. So that overuse of antibiotics on farms where animals are very stressed contributes to the superbug crisis. It also impacts wild animals. Wild animals are actually picking up superbugs uh, from the environment um, as well. It's very, very far-reaching consequences of the way that we produce food. And what we would like to see is people to come on board and join a call for a moratorium on factory farming, no new factory farms. That's the first step. And then we'd like to see a point where those factory farms are no longer built and we can move to a more sustainable food system. It's better for us, for the animals and, and for the planet. Well, like you say, where there's a problem, there's a solution. Um, and you talked there about sort of big money. Big money, fortunately, often presents uh, these issues and cruelty in order to make money. So, Jackie, I'm interested, on a larger scale, what systems do you think need to change? So there's a high level of consolidation in the food industry. And what I mean by that is there are just a few globalised food companies that really control um, a lot of aspects of what we eat, every stage of that supply chain. Now, what does that mean? You might say, well, that, that doesn't matter too much. Um, but what it does mean is that, um, you know, some of those companies are actually just pursuing profit over everything else. Uh, what that means is that... Um, you know, they're responsible for more carbon emissions, some of those big food companies, than several developed nations put together. That's the sort of impact we're talking about here. Um, so we need to see a more diversified food system. We need to see more localised solutions that are in fitting with local environments and that allow space for wild animals and for communities, human communities as well. Um, so rather than planting soy in Brazil to export as commodities, so to put on the global market as commodities to feed farmed animals in Europe or in China. We have a cat and a dog now. <laughs> Fantastic. It's just the cat fight outside, so the, the dog's gone. <laughs> I feel like you covered that really well. Obviously, us, the listeners, we want to be able to achieve great things we want to be able to help the animals we want to be able to help the planet we want to be able to help ourselves every week on the podcast we give our listeners some inspiration on what changes they can make to help make a difference uh roberto could you start us off um i would love just one or two suggestions for things our listeners can do to help sure well first of all i will invite everybody to look at our website and understand a little bit better what is going on with those fires in that emergency in Brazil so they can understand what is the level of animal impact that some human activities are causing. But I think that in general is the reflection about 
you know, being curious and getting informed about what kind of products they are buying, what is the whole, how does the whole change of productivity looks like? Because if people have access to, you know, to understand how things are produced, especially when we're talking about animal-based uh, products, they can change <laughs> their decision and they can, they can reflect on how to look for more ethical and sustainable products. And of course, alternatives that, that maybe don't rely only in the use of animals and look for more plant-based um, uh, products. But I think that in general is the reflection to be more curious and, and demand from their companies more transparency of how these products are made and what are the implications of that, of that production. I don't know, Jackie, <laughs> from your side. Thanks, Roberto. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's about eating less meat and dairy and eating better. So, um, you know, choosing higher welfare products, asking the questions around how the animals are treated um, and what the environmental impacts are. Might cost a little bit more sometimes, but we know that it won't cost the earth. Um, and the other thing I would say is um, we do need people to be calling on local governments not to support further expansion of factory farming. We want people to join the call for a moratorium on factory farms. And that's really important for people from all walks of life. So I talked about the climate change impact of the factory farming system right across that supply chain. Um, it's really important um, that if you care about climate change, this is an issue for you. Um, uh, diets can be sensitive. They're very personal, what we eat, of course. But we need to also think about the systems and the globalised food system. And we need to um, support a transformation of that system. Um, it's in all of our best interests, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that you two are the experts, but I'm just going to add my little... Um token as well to the conversation which is I think us even having this conversation is really important um, and one very simple thing I'll be doing after this podcast is talking to friends and family about uh, the greater impact of our choices because I, I think it's not very widely known um, and I think it's been a real gift to have you both on this podcast to talk about that um, so I appreciate that from both of you. questions um, just to get to know you both a little bit better so let's start with uh, Roberto I'd love to know from you which animals you have seen in the wild well I'm, I'm a very <laughs> I've been very lucky because I've seen several animals in the wild especially when I was working in the Amazon and and also in the Pantanal but one animal that really touched my heart was seeing the giant anteaters in the wild and seeing also the the rescued uh, babies, they are so unique, so you know, different that I have to mention them. <laughs> a very undervalued animal, I'd say. They are so cute. If you haven't seen a picture of a baby giant ant eater, I would recommend doing that right after you've listened to this podcast. Jackie, I'd love to know which animals you have seen as well in the wild. 
Yeah, well, I'm a little bit jealous of Roberto, actually, because I think he might have seen a Brazilian tapir, which is pretty amazing, I think, um, with his travels around parts of Latin America. Um, of course, I've seen many of the Australian animals that we have here, um, but also I'm reminded of my, my trip to East Africa um, and the camping safari there where I was able to see you know, lions, I was even able to see a leopard um, from a distance, of course, um, to make sure that they have room to move. But it was magnificent, magnificent seeing them, um, you know, out in that habitat. Um, I think truly, truly wild animals. It was great to see. Yeah, it's just fantastic seeing animals do what they do. Which leads me on to my final question, which is, Roberto, I'd love to know from you, why do you love what you do um, for wild animal protection? Well, I have to say that me as a veterinarian, one of the most rewarding things that I can do is to work to protect the animals and to benefit people too with these actions. Fantastic. And Jackie, um, what do you yeah. love? And from my side as well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's really challenging. Um, you know, it can be kind of difficult sometimes. There's a huge challenge. Um, but in this job, you don't see yourself checking uh, checking your clock as to, you know, when 5 p.m. is approaching, right? There's always something to be done. Um, you don't finish a day thinking, what was all that about? You know that you have a clear purpose and we celebrate the, the small wins that we get along the way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's honestly been amazing speaking to both of you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. this episode many thanks to my guests jackie mills and roberto vieto we would love to hear from you please get in contact with us with any questions or comments on our social channels just search for wild animal protection on facebook instagram and twitter also please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode animals are calling is a podcast from wild animal protection it's produced and mixed by johnny bunyan for pardon our french the executive producer is emmy condo Thank you so much for listening.